0: Well we are going to start a new message. Well we are. We're not going to. We are at this very moment starting a new message series uh for the next five weeks and we're calling this running the race. And uh we are mostly gonna camp out in Hebrews chapter twelve, verses one through three, except not today. We're gonna get to that next week. Uh we're gonna get to that next week. But first I wanna wanna um ask you what you think it would take. You know, every November we have a little challenge here at Bethany where we're having a hard time figuring out how to get to our worship service uh, because of something called the Two Cities Marathon. There's a half marathon, a full marathon. And is there a 5 or 10K with that as well? Nope, just the half and the full. And uh, some of you have participated. How many of you have participated in that as a as a runner of some kind? Look at you. It's awesome. And um, so I wonder if you know what it takes to participate, to be a runner in an event like the Two Cities marathon right you well you have to you have to pay to register you you need to train it helps to get some coaching got to make sure you have the the right gear the right kind of shoes and and uh, the right kind of running gear all that stuff and of course you actually need to show up and run you can kind of start getting on the tracking device and all that sets up did you know that you can't just show up on race day and run you, you, I mean, I guess you could try, but you wouldn't have the tracker. They, they wouldn't know that you're in the race. You wouldn't be a participant. You wouldn't get the t-shirt. That's for sure. That's the main reason you do it. I see the people through the year in Fresno and Clovis who wear the two cities t-shirt around I'm like, that's why you ran this so you could wear the t-shirt. I never can because I haven't done that race. Well, there's two ways. Some, some people think that, Hey, I'll, I'll just register. And get the t-shirt, and then that's good enough. And never show up and never run the race. Well, that wouldn't count either, would it? You actually have to get in the race and run the race. Well, I I say that to sort of compare that to the Christian life. You see, there is there is both a moment, I would call it like, it's, it's like the registration moment where you you say Jesus I, I surrender my life to you I I receive the forgiveness for my sin I turn to you and lean into you as the leader and the lord of my life I'm going to follow you all my days this is kind of the registration moment but sometimes we forget that that's not all it's not that's it's just not where it stops and starts that's the starting point but then then you actually have to run the race you actually enter the race and keep going and and and, and like a like a running race, you you need some training and you need some coaching and, and maybe you take other people along to run the race with you. So as we get into Hebrews chapter 12 next week and, and beyond, it, there's a race metaphor that we're going to kind of work through and we're going to stay on. So that's why this series is called Running the Race, because that's where we're involved. We're, we don't just, it's not a one-time event to be a follower of Jesus. It's an ongoing run. It's an ongoing track. Now, mixed in with that metaphor, it, uh, we'll try not to get lost in the weeds here a little bit. Let me dig into this just a little bit. Mixed in with that metaphor is, by the way, did anybody get the patriotic cake at, at, at connection time this morning? I see it in the back. There's more. It's after the service. Get some red, white, and blue cake. All right. That's what you have to deal with when you have an ADHD pastor. Um, so mixed in with this other metaphor of running, we have this, in the New Testament, and you know, the New Testament has a variety of pictures of the Christian life. Uh, it's a race. Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about it's a, um, uh, like a soldier metaphor. You're, you're fighting, he uses farming metaphors, but he also uses this metaphor of the body, of human development, growing up through the stages of human development. You're in this room, we're mostly adults. Some of you are young adults. Some of you are adolescents. We just dismissed the children. There's some babies in the nursery. Different stages of life, different life stages that, that we grow through. And the New Testament brings those metaphors in. And I want to talk about the five stages of our development from unborn to newborn to child to to young adult and to parent or a mature adult. And so there's these two metaphors we're going to layer in the. The race and also these stages of our development. Because I want you to grapple with, I want you to kind of dig into your place of spiritual development because that's like the starting line of your race. To, to, to run, you've got to know where you are right now. Five years ago, uh, some of you were here when I had a little mishap and it broke my ankle. And as I recovered from that, um, I thought, man, I need something to motivate me to, to really get healthy. So Carrie Sue over here offered to create a little running group. And that was kind of the coaching I got helped me to get moving and running so that I was able to run a 10K race not too long after I, I recovered from that ankle injury. I couldn't probably couldn't do it today. Or I could, but very, very slowly, right? But I wasn't ready to start a marathon The day after my surgery. That wasn't my. My starting point was therapy. And then it was. A 3K. And then it was moving up. Along the way. And I want you to understand. We're not all at the same level. Of spiritual development. Right at this moment. And so we're going to talk about that. And here's where you have the potential. To be offended today. So let me just lay it out there. Your years in the faith, the number of years, the years since you gave your life to Jesus Christ, your years in the faith do not equal your level of maturity. If I've been a believer for three years or five years or 50 years, well, I've been a believer for 50 years, therefore I am spiritually mature. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Your years in the faith do not equal your spiritual maturity. For example... Let me go back to the running, the race marathon. Guys my age and a little bit younger, I've got a picture here of somebody from our church. There he goes. That's pretty intense, right? People people younger than me and people my age are running these races, right? So could I just show up and run today? No. Well, well I'm 51. I'm older than Ken. I should be able to run that race. What's the big deal? Well the big deal is I'm not prepared. I haven't trained. I haven't been coached. I haven't got the right equipment. I haven't, I haven't practiced. I, you don't all start at the same place. You need to understand your starting point. And so I'm gonna walk you through these stages of spiritual development as the New Testament gives them to us. I'm gonna ask you to honestly, so that we can carry on for the next four weeks, we can honestly self-assess. That's okay, we've looked at Ken long enough. Thanks, dear. It's hard to compete with a guy that's that good looking. That's all I'm saying. So, all right. We're going to... I'm going to ask you today to honestly self-assess where you are at in your spiritual maturity. Because I want you to be able to grow. And for you to be able to grow, you need to know and be honest with where I'm at today. Does that make sense? You're with me? All right. So, if you're willing to consider where you are in your spiritual development, you... You know, once you say, okay, here's where I'm at, now you have the potential to move. If you are in denial, and say, no, I've been a Christian for 50 years, I'm very spiritually mature, I can't help you. But if you can say, okay, here's where I seem to be, then we can learn and grow together. So, I'm going to give you five stages as the New Testament gives them to us. And I got a little help from a book called Disciple Shift that kind of plotted these out. So, I'm not doing this, it's not totally original material, but I'm, you're getting some help from that. So, five stages. The first is this, unborn. The New Testament also talks about being dead in Christ. You, you're not yet alive, spiritually speaking. There's a guy named Nicodemus. He came to Jesus. He was a, he was a, a very religious guy. And, and he came to Jesus. He had, he had questions about who Jesus was and what Jesus was teaching. He wanted to believe, but his peers were kind of not really allowing them to believe in Jesus. So he came to Jesus at night. Came in the nighttime. And uh, his name is Nicodemus. And, and here's one of the things that Jesus said to him. John chapter 3, 5 verse 7. He's asked, Nicodemus is asking him questions. And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. Spiritually birthed. Your life begins when you put your faith in Jesus. Jesus, make me a new person. We demonstrate that in two ways. One is we encourage you to kind of make a, a, a prayer faith or a public confession of faith. And we encourage you uh, to be obedient to Scripture and be baptized after you've confessed your faith in Him. That's the biblical pattern. You repent, you turn to Jesus, and you're baptized. This August, August 11th, I think it is, we're planning to hold a baptism here. If you're a follower of Jesus, but you've never been baptized as a believer, I'm not talking about if you're baptized as an infant or a young child. I'm talking as a believer. Talk to us. We'd like to help you through those very basic and elemental steps of the Christian life. So what does it mean to be Unborn. Spiritually speaking, well, this person does not yet believe in Jesus Christ. They're not yet alive in Christ. It, and if this is you, you may claim to be an atheist or an agnostic. Uh, you, you might say, well, I'm spiritual in my own way, right? Or, or, or you might hold to another religion or faith system. Or maybe your religion is more like politics or environmentalism or, or science or evolution. you got it kind of ways that I have a belief system, but it's not honoring God as God. And uh, you may or may not even feel like you have a spiritual need, uh, but you need Jesus. And so if you're not yet spiritually born, if you haven't been born again, here are the kinds of things you're going to say. I'm going to give you like kind of a, kind of the language that comes out of this phase. Your language would be things like, well, I don't really believe in God. Well, I, all religions are the same. Well, I think everybody's going to get to heaven if there is one. Or, hey, the world would just be better without religion at all, wouldn't it? Or, you know, that's good for you, just don't push it on me. It goes between sort of hostile, you know, Christians are are crazy mad bigots, all the way to, hey, that's fine what you believe, it's just not for me. There's kind of that range of the person who's not yet been born again. And if that's you, my challenge to you would be to say, what holds you back? from trusting Jesus Christ. Let us help you with that. If that's somebody you know, this is a great opportunity for you just to be reminded to be praying for that friend, loved one, family member who's not yet born again and say, Jesus, would you continue to reveal yourself more and more to them so they can put their whole faith and trust in you. That's what it means to be born again. So, we got the unborn. Second phase. I do need a drink of water. I did some work in my yard yesterday because I heard some people might be coming over. So I have to tell you, I'm sore and I'm thirsty today. It hurts all over. But, but I'm happy to have you over. All right. Second phase would be that of an infant. 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 Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 2 and 3. He says this, Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Look, we love newborns, don't we? Don't you just love a newborn baby? They're just so precious. They're just... Delightful. Some are cuter than others. Let's admit that. <laughs> Yours, of course, was the cutest ever. Right? But they need help. Babies need help. You know, um, Peter says here that a, that a newborn cries out, craves, calls out for for feeding for spiritual milk. Next uh, Sunday, our Philippines team that, that we just we return on Monday, but next Sunday we'll. Kind of unpack our trip for you a little bit. We'll show you some pictures and tell you just some amazing things that happened. We had really fruitful time away. But when we're about to come home, we get on the plane and uh, the plane's about two thirds full and I'm like, yes, this is one of those flights where I'm gonna like, I'm gonna take those three open seats and I'm gonna lie down and I'm gonna sleep on this flight. And I actually, when I'm looking around, looking at looking, it's like it's time to, to close the doors. I think the doors might already be closed. And so I, I, like, I moved over to that section. I kind of was holding my stuff. I'm like, okay, these three seats are mine. This is my little kingdom for the next 12 hours, right? And then I saw more people coming down the aisle. I'm like, oh. So I went back to my seat. And sure enough, this, these seats filled up. And wouldn't you know, there's a baby. <laughs> now, we love babies, but we don't love babies on planes. We don't love babies on 12-hour trips on planes like, oh, no, no, oh, I'm not going to sleep. Well, wouldn't you know it, we're about to get going. And yep, the baby does exactly what babies do when they get on a plane. Starts just crying, just wailing. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long 12 hours. But you know what? Mom took care of it. That baby latched on and was happy. Things quieted down. It was great. It was great. That baby was crying out for the nourishment. That the only the mother could give, it, it was just it was a relief. Honestly, listen, an infant, spiritually speaking, is someone who has crossed the line of faith. Right, they've been saved, but they need help. They're they're still ignorant of gospel truths. They're they're unaware even of sin, or that maybe they're living in sin. They don't they don't even know what the, the things that they're doing are wrong yet. But but they've been saved. Um, if this is you you're probably still a product of the prevailing culture. You have a worldview that's not yet biblical. And so you, you kind of have a wide-ranging view of how things go. You don't really understand it yet. Because an infant is fundamentally helpless. Fundamentally helpless. That's That kind of qualifies an infant. You know, we, we, we say, uh, you know, we, we we believe in life uh for children, uh you know, we wanna see we talk about viability in the womb, but you know what? There's something about viability outside of the womb. You leave a newborn by itself, it's not gonna make it. It needs care. It needs help. And they can be messy and noisy and 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 even expensive and all those things. They need attention, but they're exciting to have around. Don't get me wrong. But they can't survive without care. And so that's an infant. And an infant should not stay an infant have you ever found yourself or saying this or maybe those of you who are parents or maybe you heard someone saying oh i just wish they could always be so cute and little it's just so precious and like no you don't want your kids to always be cute and little it's great where they are but you want your kids to grow and mature and develop and eventually leave the house and start a family of their own and, and carry on and then and then the grandkids can stay cute and little that's fine right No, you want the kids, you want maturity, you want growth to happen. You want development to take place. An infant can't stay an infant. They're going to have to learn to feed themselves. They're going to grow. But there are things like, in a spiritual infant, a crisis is likely to overwhelm them. Something bad happens and they freak. It just really can can take them for a tumble. And so you need to be around to help them. Peter says, if, if this is you, that you cry out for nourishment so that you can grow. Stuart, just go back to that verse one more time, if you would. He says, cry out for this nourishment, now that you had a taste of the Lord's kindness. He wants you to crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Some of you have said, you know, I've heard all this thing about being a follower of Jesus is so great, but I don't see it. I'm not experiencing it. It's because you haven't yet come to a full experience of your salvation. So if you're a spiritual infant, you're going to say stuff like things like, well, why do I need to read the Bible? Or, well, what's, what's tithing and do I need to do that? Or you might say, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian, do I? Um, a spiritual infant is, is going to say stuff like, well, I'm, I'm Christian, but I still believe in karma and I, I still like doing yoga and, and, and other, you know, things from other religions that are, that are helpful. And if that's you, what do you do? How do you respond to that? I would say it's probably the best thing is to find a mentor or a discipler, someone who can help you grow in your faith, someone who can teach you how to read the Bible, help you learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit, help you learn how to pray, help you, help you, you know, just kind of, it's about admitting I'm a baby, I'm an infant in Christ. I'm fundamentally helpless, but I, I'm willing to grow if someone will help me and come alongside me. So you probably need to ask for some help in that. All right, so that's unborn, that's infant. What's the next one? This is about being a child. This is a child. Now you're growing, you're developing. Remember, I'm asking you to honestly self-assess where am I in this process. I'll just say right here, a child is where most believers get stuck. Most Christians get stuck in kind of a child. I don't mean a child-like faith. I mean a childish faith, and there's a difference. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he writes this. He says, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you. We encouraged you. We urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. So you've got this this relationship. Paul likens himself to a parent. We'll come to that again at the end. And, and he's speaking to these people like they're children. Not biologically, his children. But they're his they're spiritual children. Let's go back. Stuart, stay on that verse for a minute. And he says, we pleaded with you, encouraged you, urge you. There's kind of like come on, come on, let's grow, let's grow, let's not get stuck, let's not stay in the same place so that they can mature and grow up in their faith. So a lot of people are are, are children, spiritually speaking. Children are, are good because they're developing independence. They're learning to, to um, you know, take care of themselves, but they still need guidance, they still need parenting, uh, they still need care. And Paul's expectation, I think, is that you can handle some pushing, some discipline, um, some encouragement. You can you can handle that now because you're you're a child. You're not an infant anymore. You can have a conversation with a child. You can't with an infant. That kind of thing. Spiritual children are are growing. They're learning. They're maybe picking up Christian terminology. They've learned words like grace and mercy. Maybe bigger words like justification and sanctification. They're they're learning how to talk the language of the faith. They're learning to read the Bible. Maybe even understand the Bible. But they are still, and they, this, is, this is where it's a little bit hard to admit, children are still fundamentally selfish. For a child, everything still revolves around themselves. That's, that's, that, that's normal. That, that's the life of a child. We're fundamentally selfish. And, and so things like, you know, if they have problems, well, they'll, they'll blame God for the things that go wrong. Um, they struggle to take personal responsibility for their own choices, their own mistakes that they're making. Someone else should be doing this for me. Someone else should take care of this for me. Right? And so it's fundamentally selfish. They expect to be taken care of when they could, in fact, be feeding themselves. I have two sons. Becky and I raised two boys. And they were pretty young when they they packed their own lunch to go to school. They learned how to make their own food. They could feed themselves and get them off to school. I know. Maybe that's terrible. I should not have said that. They had to just how we rolled. But now, they can make amazing dinners. Amazing. Right? They they learned that uh, from an early time. And again, length of time is irrelevant. Typically, this is, like I said, which where most Christians get stuck. And uh, if your spiritual life is the same as it was 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, you're stuck at the childhood stage. Listen, I'm not criticizing you. It's, it may be because you haven't had a spiritual parent in your life who said, come on, let's grow up. So I'm not putting this on you, but I'm inviting you to say, don't stay stuck as a, as a spiritual child. Let's grow. Let's develop. Let's mature. Um, and then at the upper end of the season of child development, you've got things like you're, you're regularly attending church. Like you're, you're here this morning. You, you may have joined a small group by now. Uh, you're making some friends, spiritual friends. And so if you're in this childhood stage, spiritually speaking, you're going to say things that, that are more or less driven by selfishness, but you're coming out of it. But you're going to say stuff like, well, this church doesn't really meet my needs, or, or no one thanked me for serving, or, well, don't change my class or my small group or my, my serving team or whatever, because I, I've always liked it the way it is, and I don't want it ever to change And a child doesn't understand that things change all the time, right? Well, I don't know who all these new people are. That's that's what a child would say. Or, well, we sing too many new songs, or we sing too many old songs, or we sing too many fast songs, or slow songs, or loud songs, or quiet songs. We're we're thinking about how this is all about me, right? The pastor didn't notice me, or the pastor didn't visit me. Or I'm not being taken care of. Those are kind of, that's kind of the negative side of what a child is saying. The positive side is they're, they discovered something in the Bible. I'm like, hey, did you know that Joseph in the Old Testament is not the same as Joseph in the New Testament? Isn't that cool? That's the discovery of a child. Hey, did you know that, that like this book of Psalms is like, they're like poems and stuff. Isn't that cool? So they're, they're learning. They're beginning to to understand how to feed themselves. So that's kind of the positive side of spiritual development. So if it's you, if you're in this kind of, you recognize, boy, that kind of sounds like me, then I would just say, the best thing you can do is just be honest about your expectations of others, expectations of the church, and just say, okay, what's, you know, are my expectations realistic? Why do I have these? And how can I shift from, kind of focusing on self to focusing on others how can I shift from serving self to serving others that's the big shift that has to happen for children they've got to move to thinking about others and not just themselves alright so we've got unborn, infant, child fourth one is young adult young adult and for this one we're going to go to First John chapter 2 verses 12 to 14 it's a little long but why don't we read it together would that be alright let's go I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And I took that from the ESV because it a little more accurately captures the, um, the original language. There's a really exciting phase, adolescence, young adulthood, because it's just, it's fast and it's it's fun and there's lots of good things going on. There's new relationships developing. And John is recognizing a number of these different stages just in this one little passage. Those of you who've raised children through young adulthood, you know that young adults are fundamentally hungry. Right? the first ones are fundamentally helpless, then fundamentally selfish, these ones are fundamentally hungry. Some of you have had kids just, that just didn't stop eating. Can like, I... Where are you putting that kid? Like, come on, right? They're just devouring and they're growing, and just you just kind of go through these growth spurts, and it's super exciting to be around. Uh, it's really, really fun. Um, and this also applies spiritually. A, a young adult is like someone who's enjoying the Bible, enjoying church. They're listening to podcasts. They're devouring God's word and wanting to grow more. They they've gone to the Alpha course. They've joined a small group. They're like, yes. This is good. I want to I want more. They're 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 developing that. And so I'm gonna say they, they're shifting from being a consumer, I don't mean like consuming good stuff in like that kind of eating sense, but the sense of seeing church as a place where I'm a consumer to being a contributor. That's a big shift into young adulthood, where they go from being a consumer to being a contributor. So those of you who are raising young, young adults, you know that this was the phase where where your kids started recognizing that hey, they need to help around the house because that's part of what it means to live in this household. Or maybe they're on their own or they've gone through college or they're finished college and they realize like, oh, uh, I'm actually a part of society now and actually I actually need to contribute back. It's a really important switch or shift that happens from consumer to contributor. And they've moved uh, away from just living from crisis to crisis. That's something that happens in the younger phases. Everything's a crisis. Everything's a big deal. Everything's like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And this, they can handle a little bit more of that. They've leveled out a little bit on those things. They're no, no longer blaming others for all their problems. They've stopped complaining that, you know, the pastor's not caring for them or or the you know, this church isn't protecting my my traditions or my you know preferences. They they've moved past all that. They've they've shifted and are in the process of shifting from being self centered to other centered. Instead of like, how does this affect me? How can I be a blessing to others? Look for ways to serve. There's a there's a kind of a youthful zeal that they have that makes it fun to be around. And they're hungry for connection, they're hungry for Bible knowledge. Uh, they they, they want to know Jesus personally. They want to learn to hear His voice, and so they're you know they're they're developing good spiritual habits. They're moved from just reading the verse of the day on their Bible app to actually reading the Bible. So I suggest something like our R and R Journal that we promote here. That it's a reading plan. It gets you on in the Word every day and keeps you on track and gets you folks. If you're if you're zealous about it, you can get through the whole Bible in one year. It's a good pattern to do that, but a young adult is, is developing those good habits. They, maybe they want to go on a missions trip or they, they, they want to, um, you know, they want to help lead a small group or lead a small group or initiate a small group. And remember, we're not, This is not connected to your biological age. You can have youth, you can have young adults, like, like adolescents, your guys' age over here, who are already young adults spiritually or beyond. Uh, and so, they're seeking their purpose. They, they, they're they're discovering their spiritual gifts. They're tithing faithfully. They're engaged. And if you're a young, um, they might still be sensitive to criticism. The kind of hurtful experiences can still kind of knock them off balance. But if you're a, a, a young adult in Christ, you're going to say stuff like, "Well, I was talking to my friend about." Jesus, or about I have this friend. I really want to share the gospel with him. How should I do that? Or, you know, I invited my friend to church with me. Or, wow, I'm really excited that our church is, you know, adding a service or that we're sending out missionaries, that we're doing something that focused on others. Oh, I love my small group. I love being on my serving team. I, I, you know, I'm there all the time. That, that's kind of the elements, the markers of the, the spiritual young adult. And so if this is for you, if this is you, I would just say encourage you continue in that path. Look for ways to serve others. Look for ways to be a blessing. Look for ways to not take things personally when they, when they don't go your way. It's not about you. It's about, about what, you know, how you can be a blessing even when others don't notice what you're doing. So we've had the unborn. We've got the infant. We've got the child. We've got the young adult. One more face. One more stage. In development, and that's the parent, the spiritual parent. Second Timothy chapter one, one and two. The apostle Paul, he's mentored Timothy and, and brought him into his, Timothy's a pastor in the, in the city of Ephesus. And here's what Paul writes to him in his second letter to him. Next slide. He says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I've been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. Okay, not biologically his son, not his kid, but spiritually his son. And he recognizes that Paul recognizes I'm a I'm a father, I'm a I'm a dad. I have a responsibility. Well why why can't he say that? He can say that because he's mentored him? He's coached him. He's communicated with him. He's trained him. He's led him into experiences with others. He's endorsed him when he goes other places and say, hey, this is Timothy. You can trust him. He's a good guy. Paul's playing the role of a parent or a father. A parent. Well, here's the thing, you guys. A parent takes on full responsibility for others, producing offspring when that's when the, when the Lord allows that or blesses that to happen. I don't know if any of you remember you parents. I'm going to speak to the parents in a moment. Do you remember that first one and how much that cramped your style? This is like, man, I had a life before this. We could go out and do stuff. Now, if we want to go out, oh, we've got to get a sitter. It's just not even worth a bother. Someone's always got to like, put the kid in the car seat, like, oh, it's just, those of you who've had multiple kids, like, I'm a last born of four, I'm not sure that my parents even know I existed, like, like, oh, oh, yeah, there's one more, isn't there, like, that's how it goes when you're the last born, but, but, man, it's just like, oh, wow, we're now responsible for a little human being. And this kid, like, needs to be fed and cared for and then later taken to school. I was like, oh, you got to buy clothes for them, and diaper. Yeah, that's what happens when you're a parent. You have responsibility for the little one that God's placed in your life. And a spiritual parent begins to see ways that they're responsible for others spiritually. They take ownership in their lives. And it's often inconvenient and it cramps your style. And it kind of gets in the way of what you want to do. And you know what? It's okay. It's a good, good thing. Because those children don't stay babies. They grow. And they mature. And they develop. And they live lives of their own. That's a blessing. If you're a spiritual parent, you, you've developed a kingdom mindset, a biblical worldview. You, you learn how to see the world. In a, in a bigger way, from a biblical understanding, you understand what truth is and what sin is and what holiness is. You've learned to feed yourself not only for your own self, but you've learned to feed yourself so that you can be a blessing and you can feed others along the way. By now, you're leading a small group or you're hosting a small group or a ministry team. You're leading a ministry team of some kind. You're you're staying connected in church. Here's a big one: you can handle some conflict. You don't freak out when there's a little bit of conflict that happens when you're kind of button heads with somebody. You're like, okay, we'll work this out. Now, how are we going to do this? And a parent learns to do that, right? If you're a spiritual parent, you've you've had a desire. You've looked for someone that you can mentor spiritually, that you can develop along the way, whether it's an individual or a, or a group of people. And you're going to say things like. Man, I love to give generously. I give over and above the tithe. I tithe, but I, I give, I, I love to give. Or, man, I'm, I'm excited. Someone in my small group's getting baptized. Or, you know, I'm discipling. I'm meeting with this young person and I'm, I'm mentoring them spiritually. I'm discipling them. Oh, I just read this book and it's just like, I gotta share with you what I, what I read in this book. It's just helped me so much. I'm going on a missions trip. I can hardly wait to share my testimony and go places and meet other believers and, and people who need Jesus. Oh, I really want to make a difference by sharing my faith. Can you help me do that? Would... That's the Those are the markers of a spiritual adult. So those are some stages of faith as the New Testament gives them to us. And as you think about this running the race that we're going to get into, it's best for you to be honest about where you are right now. Where's your starting line? Where's your starting point? Are you, are you unborn? Are you not yet alive in Christ? Are you a newborn? Are you, are you a child? Are you a young adult? Are you an adult? Because God's intent for you is to grow spiritually. I think, mean, Kurt, why don't you come up and, and help us a little bit here? Because I, as you prepare to, to run this race of faith, I want to just take you to Ephesians chapter four. verses 11 to 16, because this really captures a sense of the maturity that we're expected to grow into. Ephesians 4, verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, "There, are, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Okay, so my job is not to do the work of ministry. My job is to help you do the work of ministry. Verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Verse 15, instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Listen, God wants us to mature. He wants unity. He wants knowledge. Right? He, wants, he wants us to speak the truth, but he wants to do that with love. He wants us to grow and growing means I'm growing personally, but I'm also growing by sharing my faith. The church itself ought to be growing new people coming to faith and, and, and filling up the room and adding services and, and, and planting new churches. That's what's intended. That's what's supposed to happen. And when we're healthy and I know you don't want to stay stuck where you are. I get that. I, I don't think you do. I think if you've if you continue to struggle with it, a certain area of sin, I know you want to find freedom with that. I know if you've struggled in your finances, you, you're done with it. You want to get, kind of get beyond that. I know if, if you struggle in, in kind of developing good, lasting relationships, I know you want to do better than that. I know you want to break through. If you're angry or depressed or you're anxious or, or stuck in some way, I know you want to get past. And that's partly why God has given us His Word. Saying, I want you to grow, I want you to mature. Let the people that I've given you, God says, the pastors, the apostles, the, the, the apostles, the pastors, the evangelists, the, the the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, let them lead you. Let them develop your life. Respond to their leadership. Respond to the guidance they're offering you because they're going to help you. God's calling you to be a healthy, growing believer, but also calling us to be a healthy growing Church, a fellowship. And over the next couple months in this summer, we're gonna grapple a lot with what it means to follow Christ. We're gonna talk about running the race in August. We're gonna get into kind of how to develop good habits of the Christian life. Because it's not a one-time decision. You didn't just give your life to Christ. You prayed a prayer when you were seven years old and that's it. Or you prayed a prayer when you are 37 years old and that's it. It's an ongoing process. The uh, A great, wonderful writer, Eugene Peterson, said, it's a long obedience in the same direction. doesn't mean to say you don't make mistakes. doesn't mean to say you don't sin anymore. doesn't mean to say you don't have failings and, and, and stumblings. But you're moving in a direction toward Christ. I invite the worship team back up. Jake, if you're here, if you're going to grow, you got to be honest about your starting line today. Where am I at? If you can say, you know, I'm kind of a kind of a baby in Christ, then be honest about that. Don't say, man, I, I should be I should be, you know, leading a leading something at church. If you're a baby in Christ, say I'm going to grow and I'm going to develop and I'm going to get to that place one day. If you realize that, man, most of it's all about me and my issues and how I want things, I want you to be honest about that. Say, okay, that's not how it goes. I want it to be bigger than that. One last verse. Stuart, can you put the last one up there? Verse 14. He says, then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. That's the real mark of an adult in Christ. You know it's true. You keep going. And you don't freak out when something weird comes along. What kind of race do you want to run? Where do you want to start? How do you want to finish? We're going to talk about all those things. But can you be honest about where you are today? Let's be honest and let's grow. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this, your word today, the challenge of your word. And, Lord, wherever we're at today, we want to grow, we want to mature, we want to get past where we've been and and move forward to where you would have us be. And, Lord, for those of us who kind of swirled around in a young stage for a long time, um, can you can you just remind us that you have more for us than we've experienced to put aside our idols, to put aside our preferences, and instead pursue you? We thank you. Thank you that your word is true. Your salvation is so secure and complete. In Jesus' name, amen.